0: And welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I am your host, Stephen Wien. Of course, always joining me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, my co-host, Mr. Wally Lukashensky. Wally, we have one more night of sleep. That is all that is needed for us. A solid six to eight hours. And then it is NFL game day, baby. We finally get to break down our week one bets, prop, lock, and drop it, making its way back. Wally, how the hell are you? It's nice. It's only been a week since the last time we spoke, and now I can get used to this.
1: Man, this is probably my favorite week or so of the year. College football, NFL, both together. Last week was great, but just to have the one day, I guess you every year you almost forget about how special it is once you have a full weekend of football. Saturday is awesome, but when you have, I guess, rolling around that 3.30 kickoff time, you're like, oh, wait a minute, we're not that far from this being over. But now that we're back, it really is four days of five. Friday, it's still Friday. So this is the best time of year. Everyone's excited. Now, I do want to say one thing before we get going too crazy. And it's been bothering me. Nothing to do with anything else. You know those cologne and perfume commercials? There's one out there called Noir or Noir whatever it is. And it just pisses me off every time I see it. Because these kind of commercials have no purpose whatsoever It's got Natalie Portman in it. And she's just like walking around. There's like, she's like, hey, look, uh, I'm on the beach. I'm all happy. And then just randomly at the end, it's just like, noir. I'd never have understood these kind of commercials. And I want to know if there actually are people out there that look at this and say, I want to buy that cologne or I want to buy that perfume. Because every time I see it, it does the opposite where I'm like, all right, cool. I'm probably not even going to date someone that uses this product now.
0: Well, that's really awkward because after I saw that commercial, I bought five cases of it. I am now an investor in Noir, and it's great. What are you talking about? That commercial is amazing. It's, it's you know, as a someone who has a doctor in English, you'd think that at least he'd have some sort of love for art with that English major, and it's just it's heartbreaking to hear this, Walter.
1: I just don't understand because if these companies were smart, they would curve into this. Like, imagine Seth Rogen... On the beach for 30 seconds trying to sexually seduce the audience. Or someone at least like that. You understand what I'm saying. But then at the very end, imagine the 30 seconds is up or whatever. And then you get noir. That's how you market to the average man anyways. Because people like me would be much more inclined to buy that product opposed to the one they have now. I guess I just don't understand the purpose of the commercial mission, whatever. But naturally, I'm not the target audience. So that makes sense too.
0: I am backing you on the Seth Rogan or like maybe maybe like a super bad version of Jonah Hill hopping around in there. They're cleaning cars and they're just having a good time. I'm with you on that.
1: Like It's the end of Neighbors. If anyone's seen that movie, he does a fake Abercrombie and Finch like kind of standing ad with Zac Efron to end the movie and they're like, yeah, you just kind of make this sore feel more approachable. That would be the exact same for one of these. You have Seth Rogan try to like sexually seduce you for twenty five seconds before whipping out a cologne bottle like you are. I would be all over that. You would have so much more I feel like traction with the everyday person, but I guess at the end of the day that's not who they're marketing for
0: Did you just say Abercrombie and Finch? I'm pretty sure you just said Finch.
1: I just know I was never the guy buying any of these, so I probably did say Finch. No. It's
0: important to me that you know that it was that it's Fitch.
1: This is that's fine. It could be the Andy Dwyer at Hogwarts. Hey, look, Hogwarts. It's important to me that you know that's not Hogwarts. I'm Andy Dwyer. I'm just living in my own world. Abercrombie, Finch, Fitch, whatever you want it to be. It does not matter. It's as irrelevant now as it was five minutes ago for me.
0: We'll move off from Finches. We'll get we'll get a uh, better bird. We'll talk about some Baltimore Ravens here. My guy, my newly acquired guy, because I had to get him in uh, in my fantasy draft. Mark Andrews signs a four year. Worth up to $56 million extension. So he was sitting on a very, very Baltimore Ravens lucrative contract, only worth about $3.5 million. Mark Andrews has been making a name for himself since Lamar Jackson has taken over as quarterback. He did not have as great of a year last year as he did the year previous. He's still that safety valve and arguably the most trusted receiver in that Baltimore Ravens receiving room regardless if it's tight end or wide receiver because he's the most consistent guy I think it's a great move to keep that huge piece of that offense for Lamar Jackson once he does sign that contract extension he's just quietly the top five tight end in the league
1: he's a guy that if you're going to pay a tight end it makes sense that Baltimore would pay Mark Andrews because Lamar has shown that his trusted target so far has been him it has been in that tight end position so Yeah, it might not be something that you would think about as a must-do for most franchises. But when you have a quarterback that's desperately trying to become a better passer, you don't do that by running off his number one guy, his number one tight end. Yeah, you overpay a little bit. It's kind of resetting the tight end market, which is why you'll see Darren Waller. He even signed extra representation today. It's very evident that after another year, especially another successful year, that he's going to be looking for the bag out of Vegas. I don't blame Baltimore. I don't think that this is going to be a ground-shattering move, but at least for Mark Andrews, like you said, he was going to be making 3.5 mil. At least he knows he's going to secure the bag a little bit. I just regret it from a Raider fan perspective because I was really looking forward to having Darren Waller on that 6 dollars million-a-year deal for the next three years. Now, all of a sudden, it looks like they're going to have to give him big money to keep him sticking around beyond 2023.
0: That shouldn't be any surprise to you at all, though, Waller. We knew that this was happening. But Mark Andrews definitely just kind of stepped on some toes, and Darren Waller's looking to get paid because that kid is an absolute problem. You want to talk about number one tight end, number one receiver that your quarterback is looking to, Darren Waller fits that mold perfectly. You know, Pat Mahomes has a Tyree kill to throw the ball deep to, or even running backs coming out of the backfield, are either a McColl Hardman, a Sammy Watkins, or a George Kittle Tight end team that also has other weapons. You got Brandon Nayuk, Debo Samuel when he wants to be healthy, then about six, seven, eight different running backs that they like to flow into that offense. Mark Andrews is that guy there. And I see him as being that Greg Olsen that he that Cam Newton had in Carolina for all those years, who so he ended up pretty damn well. A few thousand yard seasons under Cam Newton and that Carolina Panthers team. So I expect good things. With Mark Andrews being in this offense, as much as I can for how much I've been doubting Lamar and his throwing ability, but if anyone's going to be A-OK in that department, it will be Mark Andrews.
1: Well, good for him, too. Third highest paid guy now behind those guys you mentioned, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. But with that big money, you expect big results and big production. So I know that Lamar, I know Baltimore is going to expect more of the same from Mark Andrews going forward.
0: We won't touch too, too much on this topic here. A little bit more drama in Houston. Tyrod Taylor was named the starter over to Sean Watson, pending all the looming drama that's going on. Maybe he gets traded. Maybe he's not in the NFL much longer. Tyrod Taylor is the starter in Houston as of now. As well as in the secondary, the Houston Texans have traded Bradley Roby to the New Orleans Saints. Yet, Roby still has to serve his final game of a six-game PED. Suspension. If you remember, he was also a part of that with Wolf Fuller on the Houston Texans from last year. The Saints also went on to sign Desmond Trufant earlier this week. You know, this could be implying that the Saints feel like they may be bigger competitor competitors in the NFC than they previously expected. With Jameis Winston showing a lot, you know, a lot more glimpse there in that offense. Now he's leading there. Maybe they won't miss as big of a beat without Drew Brees if they're able to bring in those nice pieces, complementary pieces to that secondary. Houston, we spent no time on who gives a shit absolute dumpster fire. Are the Saints making enough moves in that secondary, at least? Solid front seven, but in that secondary to give you confidence that, hey, maybe maybe they can come and solidify that number two spot. I'm not saying to- take the top spot, but be one of those really dangerous wild card contenders at the end of the year.
1: I think that New Orleans, just like most of us, expected a drastic fall off when you saw the salary cap held that they were in, and everybody made such a big deal of it going into the offseason. And yeah, there was a little bit of turnover, and this Saints team isn't necessarily on paper what they have been in years past. But yeah, with the way Jameis Winston has performed in the preseason and the evident growing confidence they have in Jameis Winston, I think that they did make these moves thinking, yeah, you know, we are going to be better than we expected to be. And bringing in Font, bringing in Roby too, these guys are going to be asked to step in immediately and perform to at least get them in that wild card picture. Whether they get there, we'll see. This is a sane secondary that looks like they're going to probably be starting three Ohio State Buckeyes. So people like me get to be excited about that. You're going to have the ageless Malcolm Jenkins, Marshawn Lattimore, and that doesn't even mention Pete Werner, who was kind of that hybrid bullet position that you see at Ohio State that's being incorporated more into the NFL, We're seeing base nickels much more normal than it had been. Usually it was always the 4-3 or 3-4. Now when you have that strong safety that can kind of play that hybrid role, whether that be, be a linebacker or a safety when they need him in pass coverage, I'm excited to see what he can do. But we'll see. This is going to be the biggest question mark on this Saints defense. Jameis is going to be the question mark on that offense. But if both can at least perform halfway to the level we expect, There's not a reason to expect that this Saints team can't be an eight- or a nine-win team. And at that point, one or two games go your way, maybe you are in the wild-card spot, which is not a position I expected them to be in even a month ago. So Sean Payton in that Saints offense should be pretty excited about things to come and look out for that defense.
0: We both agree. They're they're playing for second wild-card spot. We'll see how great of an offensive mind and head coach that Sean Payton actually is. We know that's been a very fun discussion between the two of us in in this past offseason. Le'Veon Bell, that man's back in the league. So after injuries to the Baltimore Ravens backfield with J.K. Dobbins going out with an ACL tear, Justice Hill injuring his Achilles in practice here the other day, Le'Veon Bell finally off his couch. And now he's officially on the Baltimore Ravens practice squad. Now, that's not a surprising move, having him on the practice squad. You're going to let him kind of catch up to these players that had a full offseason. And then eventually, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's moved up there very early October, maybe late September, depending on how quick he is able to adapt to that offense. playbook, and just getting back into game shape. Because if you guys remember, he didn't really play a lot last year once he was traded from the New York Jets to the Kansas City Chiefs. I like it. It's a low-risk, high-reward for the Baltimore Ravens. And a little sugar on top. He gets to play against his old team twice a year, so you know that he likes signing that. I think it's a smart move. You have a stud like that that's sitting there in the offseason. You still have the likes like Todd Gurley. Devontae Freeman was in the talks and potentially coming in for a workout. So I like the move. I like to see Al Bell back in here. And I know he likes going to a team like the Baltimore Ravens because they love running the ball.
1: They love running the ball, and they love running the ball well. Harbaugh has done a great job there being able to at least continuously scheming up ways for them to run the ball effectively while they've struggled to throw the ball. Last year, they had that three-headed running monster of Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, and Gus Edwards. You got to see the three backs all within 72 to 144 carries. The top two there, J.K. and Gus Edwards, the young guys, they were both got over 700 yards, six and nine touchdowns respectively. All you need is a guy like Le'Veon Bell, especially on that team-friendly deal he's going to be on, to be that guy that can take five to ten touches a game. And there's reason to believe in an offense like this, you might at least get flashes of what Le'Veon Bell used to be. This is kind of a crazy situation, though, because of all these injuries so close to the season. They're entering the year with only two guys, two running backs on that 53-man, with Gus Edwards and Tyson Williams. And Tyson Williams... He's never even had a single regular season carry up to this point, which makes you kind of wonder how they are going to run the ball and are they going to protect these guys a little bit more in the first couple of games until Bell is ready to be on that active roster. They start with the Raiders, which we'll get into, but that's a team that you would imagine should be at least an easier obstacle for Lamar to get some early season record with those wide receivers and in the passing game. That's going to be a focal point early on this year, especially for the Ravens. If they're able to keep Gus Edwards healthy, this offense I don't think will miss much of a beat. But let's say Edwards misses some time, you're all of a sudden looking to an unproven back in this short period of time you're waiting for Le'Veon Bell. And I don't know how that's going to look.
0: L. Bell can mess really well in the passing offense out of the backfield. I think that he can do phenomenal and that's just another safety valve for Lamar Jackson if he's not finding Mark Andrews wide in the open. With the luck the Ravens had, how could you not sign another running back or have at least another running back on the roster? And that's why I don't blame them for signing Le'Veon Bell. There's something in that room. You had two running backs go out with season-ending injuries, and 20 years ago, that means you were done playing in the, in the league entirely. I don't like the mojo in that room. I like the addition. Let's keep it in the division where T.J. Watt is having problems on getting a contract extension with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So T.J. Watt, back to practice on Wednesday. Mike Tomlin believes that he's still on track to to play the season opener against the Buffalo Bills, but the man just wants to get paid. At the end of the day, he's made $9 million overall in his four-year career. He's set to make $10 million right now with his fifth-year option in place. But how could you not pay him? He's been nothing but... Disruptive, exactly what you're looking for as an edge rusher. He was a steal in the draft. Now it looks like pay this man. Now, there are reports that are coming out that the Steelers are not looking for guaranteed money outside of the first year, and that potentially could stall or absolutely kill the contract talks between TJ and his agent and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, this man should have been paid yesterday. Especially after you just let Bud Dupree walk away. I don't know what the problem is here.
1: This is just a franchise that's so stuck in its ways. They hate to pay players while they're under contract. And they believe they're in the right here saying, hey, you are on your deal. We expect you to honor this deal. And that was great even 10 years ago. But the league is changing. Players are changing. And if you have a guy like TJ Watt, who, yeah, $9 million is a lot of money. And there's the first one of the regular year for us right there. $9 million is a lot of money, though. But to guys like T.J. Watt, he is worth upwards of that $20 million extension. And I don't blame him for sitting out. We've seen plenty of guys now get injuries, and then they never see that contract reflect what they deserve, what their abilities are. If he wants to sit out and make— Earl
0: Thomas.
1: Earl Thomas, I'm, yeah, I was literally sitting there thinking Also
0: not him. on a team this year.
1: Also not on a team this year. And you can also think back, too, him flipping off his own bench, coming back when I think a lot of players would have told him not to do so, but he wanted to help out that team that felt a little short at that safety position. I can't blame TJ if he chooses to sit out, but it doesn't look like he is going to. I don't know if that means a deal is imminent or whether that just means he wants to just Figure out what he's doing at the end of this upcoming season. But Big Ben, he came out. You can tell he's pissed off. A lot of these players are pissed off. They're best player, arguably, on their team right now. was a question mark to even play just simply because of the holdout situation. Big Ben's saying, hey, you know what? Pay the guy whatever the heck he wants. That's his quote. He took a pay cut this year. A lot of people are speculating that Ben is basically saying, I took a pay cut for you not to do things like this, not to fuck stuff up like TJ not getting paid. When in reality, how much of that is, you know what, you took a pay cut because that was the only way we were going to let you be our starting quarterback. But the moral of the story remains the same. The players in the locker room are supportive of their brother-in-arms here playing, supportive of their guy, TJ Watt, playing under a new contract. Steelers need to get over that old-school way of thinking and pay him now, otherwise he might hold a grudge once he does have that contract go up and say, hey, you know what, you guys had your chance to pay me. I wanted to be a Pittsburgh Steeler forever. You didn't pay me then, I'm going to go get wherever I can get the most money and not worry about it from there.
0: If you're listening to the podcast, this is obvious. T.J. Watt, younger brother of J.J. Watt. You don't think T.J. is going over to J.J.'s house and that's not motivating him? Because at this time, like right now, we can argue that we'd rather take T.J. Watt over J.J. Watt in his prime because J.J. Watt can never stay healthy. That time potentially could come for T.J.? Are you going to tell me he doesn't go over to his older brother's house, look at him living this lavish life, being the defensive player of the year, which a lot of people would argue that he got snubbed out of last year? How would that not want to push you more? I'd want that money. If I had an older brother that was in the league, go to his mansion that's way better while he's still you know, yeah, he might be sitting on that subway money, but maybe he's just in a in a nice little three-bedroom townhome right there in Pittsburgh. No, I want a fucking mansion, like my older brother JJ, except better. I want a bigger pool. I want a bigger pool table. I want a bigger basement, movie theater, everything. Get the man paid.
1: Well, In a lot of these times, too, you see these guys, they have more money than they could probably ever spend, and guys like TJ and JJ, I mean, they come from rural Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so we know what that kind of what lifestyle has entailed for them. But I think what a big factor that a lot of people ignore when these guys come out and want to get paid, it's a respect thing. T.J. Watt says, hey, I am the best edge rusher in the league right now. I want to be paid like it. I want that to be reflected there. And also, the other players in the league want that too. It will reestablish that market for the edge rush position too. I don't necessarily think he's the best in the league, but there's a strong case for it. And the fact that you're even considering letting this guy play unhappy and look around potentially for a new deal later on, it's kind of insane, and it's kind of backwards. And I know the Steelers have their Steeler way or whatever. Man, if you are married to that idea, the league's going to pass you by.
0: Coming from a Packers fan, absolutely the league will pass you by. You cannot have that continuous mindset of just being stuck in your old ways. You know, You're not going to pay your current players unless they're under contract. Come on now. Get with the times, my guy. If you don't, they're gonna get they're gonna get gone. Then in a year or two, you're gonna look you're gonna have a whole new quarterback. Maybe Minka Fitzpatrick's not there anymore because of the way that you treated TJ Watt, because he's playing somewhere else. It's a huge domino effect. But we're fucking done talking about the Steelers and all these stories. Let's talk about money. The real reason anyone gives two shits about hearing us talk, well, them going out of their way to hear us talk. This is the reason right here. We got gambling. We got the Thursday night game that is opening up the NFL season between the Dallas Cowboys going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Tampa Bay is favored by eight and a half points. As you heard earlier this week, Zach Martin, unlikely to play. He needs two negative COVID tests to be able to be eligible to play on Thursday. That's not going to happen. And it's in Tampa Bay. They have the fans back. It's in Florida. See so you know they're ruthless, snorting bath salts off their little infants' heads while they're cheering for their Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's no way that I I, I have to go with Tampa Bay covering this. How can I not? Tom Brady, another ring. It's in Raymond James Stadium. They got the fans back. The cannons are going to be blasting. Dallas, a lot of question marks. Now with Zach Martin out, O-line joins another question mark because we, we already don't trust the defense. Yeah, Micah Parsons looks great. I still don't trust that defense enough. Where Tom Brady is going to have enough weapons to absolutely torch that secondary that didn't really get any help and I'd argue got worse from last year. I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers covering by nine points. Walter, take it away.
1: We've seen now five of the last six defending Super Bowl champions win that Thursday night opener and typically look very good in doing so. Before that, you always had that misnomer where you hear of Super Bowl hangovers and you just assume that that would reflect in this opening game. We haven't seen that. Banner Night is pretty special. Players are going to be fired up. And when you consider the fact that, and unlike most of the time, Tampa Bay is basically going to see their entire Super Bowl winning roster playing that game on Thursday. Everyone's going to be up. I do think they win this game. I don't have them covering. I still think there is the chance that we see Zach Martin. Get two negative COVID tests. Him being vaccinated helps what expedite that process a little bit. But we were saying before, Zeke called Zach Martin the best player on this offense. Not Dak Prescott, not Amari Cooper, not himself, but Zach Martin. And it's that question of how important is he to this team? Well, when they run the ball, they're running behind Zach Martin. And if they expect to play in this game, they're going to need to see that running game be a little bit, not a little bit, they're going to need to see it a lot better than what it was last year. Dak, in that first four or five games, he was averaging like 350 yards a game, maybe more, because of the fact they were trailing and having to play catch-up the entire time. That's not a recipe for success. I do think the Cowboys will be competitive in this game, but the Buccaneers are going to come out on top. 31-25. 25 comes in late because of that goofy. When you're down two scores, go for two. Don't go for two, question mark. I think. They might score a late touchdown and at least cover the spread, and make it a look little, a little bit better. So I have Dallas covering the eight and a half.
0: I just hate rooting for Dallas. It's just it takes a lot out of me. I, I mean, I will be on them. Their overs are going to be awesome. I know this over was set at 52 and a half. I definitely be looking at hitting that over because I think this will be an offensive game. And if not, at least one score from the Buccaneers defense, I wouldn't be too surprised about as well. Sprinkle a little bit on that defensive touchdown odds. I don't have them right in front of me, but it's a nice little payoff. I'm not telling you to throw a lot, throw 10, maybe win 75 back. That sounds about right. Our next game on the slate, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers visiting the Buffalo Bills. Bills are favored by six and a half. I know we just talked about TJ Watt. We were expecting to see him in uniform, ready to play. Buffalo Bills, what I'm looking at is Emmanuel Sanders. He's essentially just an older, smaller Stephon Diggs, and then he's just a bigger, faster Cole Beasley. So that offense is very one-dimensional at the wide receiver position, but Emmanuel Sanders is still productive. So I'm interested to see how that weapon is going to mold and mesh with that Buffalo Bills offense. With Josh Allen coming off a spectacular third-year leap that he had, All eyes are are going to be on him as well as I have him on my fantasy team as my quarterback, and I need him because that team in particular is absolute dog shit. It's hard for me to pick for the Steelers on this game based on how they ended the season last year. I know there's still a lot of what we've talked about, questions on the offensive line. They're very high on on their rookies that are joining that line. Najee Harris in the backfield, everyone's very high on. I just need to see how Ben Roethlisberger is going to be. Yeah, he feels great, the best shape of his life, yada, yada, yada. How many times have we heard that about every single player that had an off year last year, that they're in the best shape of their life this year? The tape doesn't lie. I just cannot trust the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. I got burned by that fire. It's going to take me a lot to regain that trust. I'm going to go with Buffalo opening up their season. Talk about having fans back in the stands. They're opening up that season in Buffalo. No table is safe. And I'd argue the whole northeast section of the country, not even the whole state of New York, the whole northeast section of the country is absolutely fucked. I have the Buffalo Bills covering this with no problem whatsoever.
1: Being back in Orchard Park with fans, especially early on, you saw it in the first weekend with college football, how much, and I know it's college, it's different. These are professional athletes. But just having those fans, that energy back in the stadium, that's something we didn't see last year, and I don't think we realized how different it made the games. But this is the first time the Steelers get to go back since that first loss last year. They're 11-0 and going into Orchard Park, and the Bills exposed them. They exposed the issues with that team, with the offense, and then the defense at that point kind of fell off throughout the rest of the year because the offense kind of, you want to talk about falling off the cliff, they were nowhere to be found. I think that because of that, you're going to see a Steelers offense struggle to move the ball a lot on Sunday. And you mentioned Emmanuel Sanders, and I'm glad you did. I want to make a quick note of him. He's had a drastic fall off statistically over the last five years. A lot of that leads to, is he falling off? Or do we want to attribute that to the quarterbacks he's been playing with? Just to give you an idea of the quarterbacks he's played with in those five years. He had the ghost of Drew Brees last year. We had Jimmy Garoppolo in 2019. Case Keenum in all of 18. You have Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, and Paxton Lynch in 2017 with Simeon again in 2016. I do think that he has lost a little bit of a step, but being with a guy like Josh Allen and having Cole Beasley and having Stefan Diggs there with him, you're going to see a bit of a resurgence. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if they made it a point to try to get him the ball, maybe get him a touchdown this weekend, make everybody feel at ease, feel comfortable in that offense. My other bet for you, though, is I do feel like Micah Hyde is going to get a pick. He only has four over his last three years when he had five, I want to say, in 2017. But I do think he gets back to those ball-hawking ways this year. Buffalo's going to be winning a lot of games. Teams playing them are going to have to throw the ball a lot, especially in the second half. I think you're going to see those numbers go up a bit. And I do think he gets a pick this week. And the Buffalo Bills, no table safe, like you said. Bill Mafia have something to be excited about. They win this game. 27-17 to and covered that 6.5-point spread by 3 points. I will say this is one of the games I will be betting a good amount of real-life money on. I think the Bills are better. And I think that even had this been played at a neutral site, this is going to be a Bills team that wins by at least a touchdown. I'm comfortable putting a couple units, honestly, on the Bills to cover 6.5.
0: Moving down to my home state of North Carolina where the New York Jets are visiting the Carolina Panthers. This is a fun game. There's a bunch of dramatic pieces to this. You got Robert Sala, the old defensive coordinator for that San Francisco 49ers defense here the past three years. Being a head coach for the first time in his career, in his first game, with Zach Wilson, you know, the number two pick, making his first NFL start as well. So they're they're both rookies coming in together. You always love to see that. Now on the other side, we have Sam Darnold, who is the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, spent the first couple years of his career in the New York uniform. So now he gets to play his old team in his first game away from New York. I love this. This will be a very fun game to watch. Now we really get to see how Zach Wilson's hype is going to go in the first 60 minutes of his NFL career. Is he going to light up this Carolina defense? This defense is not as bad as you think because we also get to see JC Horn on that defensive side of the ball for the Carolina Panthers going up against fellow rookie, Mr. Zach Wilson. With that wide receiver room in New York, you got Jameson Crowder. We'll see if he's able to play. There's COVID reason, but the addition of Corey Davis. Keelan Cole and drafting Elijah Moore—that's where all, if not most, the eyes will be on. If you're looking for the New York Jets, I'm excited about Elijah Moore. I picked him as my dark horse rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year. Corey Davis is a stud. I just don't know if he can ever be that guy on an NFL team. And now CMC is back, potential comeback player of the year gets his first action since being ruled out and only really playing two and a half, three games of the NFL season last year. I just trust Carolina more. They play a lot of close games. I don't think this will be one of them. The minus five I'm loving is, and as Wally was saying, I'm putting a lot of my real money on this Carolina Panthers team to cover the minus five. And quite frankly, I think it's going to be a walkthrough bet. An absolute lock, potentially.
1: Yeah, you called this a fun game. I would probably call it more of an intriguing game, purely on the storylines going into it. mentioned it's Robert Salah's first game. I think this is going to be a very evidently better coach Jets team this year. You just aren't going to be able to see that reflected in wins, at least not right away. I'm fired up. You heard me on the preview show a few weeks ago. The left side of this line is something that I'm really going to be focused on, just because you also, you already had Makai Fecton, who's quickly emerging as one of the premier tackles in the game of football, but you have Elijah Vera Tucker that's going to be lining up next to him, and I have high hopes for him, too. And if he does look good, that left side of the line, you might be looking at it being solidified for a long period of time. This is what you want to do when you have a rookie quarterback. You really want to protect him. And that looks like a left side of the line that should really give him a lot of time. And I guess too, also give you a side of the ball that feel a little bit more comfortable running behind. Now, one of the things that stood out to me is that three rookies are going to be starting likely on this New York Jets defense two of which are linebackers who were drafted as safeties in day three of the NFL draft this year. You had Jamie and Sherwood and Hansa and I hope it said that, Narosaldeen. We'll find out eventually, I hope. But yeah, those are a fifth and a sixth round pick from Auburn and Florida State, respectively. Tough opening matchup when you have to worry about CMC. These guys immediately get thrown to the wolves. You're going to be looking at CMC out of the backfield, unlike... What a lot of backs can do, the guy is special. He could be a slot receiver if he wanted to be. That's how good he is route running. And then you also have to worry about him on the ground. It's a very difficult first assignment. I think that's going to be the thing that's going to really push Carolina over the edge. Help them win this game by nine. I have Carolina winning this game 30-21. to But if I am a Jets fan, realize that this is going to be a long rebuild. This was a team that looked very bad. It should have been... The team drafting number one overall last year had an opt in for a couple weird games late in the year last year. But don't panic. The Jets are going to be okay. At least this is one of those times a year, if you are a Jets fan, just hope to see a little bit of growth out of Zach Wilson, see a little bit of chemistry with those wide receivers. I just don't think they have enough in this first-week matchup.
0: A team that will never have enough throughout the whole season, our next game, the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Houston Texans. We're speaking about rookies making their their start together. We've got Urban Meyer, rookie head coach, Trevor Lawrence, rookie quarterback, starting their first game here together in the NFL this upcoming Sunday. We all know Travis Etienne went out with an ACL tear, so now James Robinson slotted back right into his number one position, which is where he started last year of not ringing any bells, only undrafted rookie free agent to rush for 1,000 yards. Here he is coming back to see if he can do a back-to-back season's And maybe show Urban Meyer that, hey, maybe you don't need Etienne here in the backfield. Maybe it's all me that you need. Everyone's all eyes on Trevor Lawrence outside of Zach Wilson, all eyes on the number one pick. That's a lot of pressure. And you're going against Houston where you have the potential of winning your first NFL start, which a lot of rookie quarterbacks don't have that leisure of saying. Look at Justin Herbert, his first NFL start was against Patrick Mahomes. You know that he wasn't going to come away with a W on that one. Like we already touched on a little bit earlier, Tyrod Taylor is named the starter ahead of Deshaun Watson, who seems to seemingly go nowhere, and he will be off the Houston Texans here sooner rather than later. There's a lot of talent on this Texans roster. It just happens to be 2021, not 2018, 2017. If it was the NFL, fucking watch out. But it's 2021. This is an absolute joke. I have no confidence in what Houston could do at all. I don't want to spend too much time on this. I have Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer winning their first NFL game here together. Jacksonville is favored by three points. I see no problem. When you are a road favorite, that should tell you all you need to know about the Houston Texans. Jacksonville minus three. Hell, I'd take Jacksonville minus six if I had to.
1: The biggest concern, and I think the thing that I'll be watching for most in this game early in the year, especially for Jacksonville, is is Urban Meyer actually going to adjust his play calling, because we have not seen that so far. Even in preseason, it was kind of very vanilla. And that's okay. We're expecting not to see a lot in preseason, but we have to see it now once the regular season comes on. I don't know if I believe that he's going to be able to take that step. Now, this might feel very reminiscent of last year's opener when the Jaguars beat the Colts before deciding not to win a game the rest of the year. I think Jacksonville does win this game, in large part due to the ineptitude of Houston. But don't expect the Jaguars to be rocking the win total. I can't remember if it was three and a half, four and a half, just because of this game. Mostly this is a reflection on what Houston is. You talk about if this was 2018, I mean, look at that running back room. We talked about how the Ravens have two running backs on their active roster. These guys have five, and four of them are recognizable names. They're just not what they used to be. You had Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsley, David Johnson, Rex Burkhead. Who's going to be the guy that takes the large number of those snaps, reps there at back? Other guy that I want to bring up, and I feel bad for, Laramie Tunsell. He's going to pull his best Joe Thomas impression for at least the foreseeable future. Being on dumpster fire team after dumpster fire team as one of the premier left tackles in the game, you feel bad for the guy because there's not really much to be looking forward to on this team. It looks like it's going to be Aisle before you can feel comfortable that the rebuild's going in the right direction, Godspeed to David Cully and bringing in that veteran Lovey Smith, who couldn't even seem to get Illinois to be well coached in the last few years. Interesting there with the head coaching hire. Interesting with the defensive coordinator hire. Low expectations. I have the Jaguars twenty-one to thirteen. Less about what the Jaguars do, more about what Houston doesn't.
0: Leonard McTunsil is. It's like that video where he's standing still, but there's a time lapse of people going, just walking behind him. That's the Houston Texans. Imagine when he first got there. He's like, well, this actually isn't a bad bad trade. I I think finally play some pro ball with some pro players. Tears later, absolutely not. You're fucked, and all of a sudden, you're potentially the best player on that offense. They have the pieces. I just don't think that they're competent enough as a coaching staff and having a quarterback as Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, t- everyone's like, well, Tyrod Taylor's not that bad. He's 24 and 21. He's really great in the league. The last three teams that he's been a part of, rookie quarterbacks have taken his job. So we need to talk about Tyrod Taylor's just not that guy. Josh Allen comes. Peace out. Baker Mayfield comes. Peace out. I get my lungs stabbed by the Chargers staff. Yeah, I know. That wasn't really on you. But it was only amount of time before Justin Herbert took your job. So what makes you think that the rookie quarterback that they have on their roster right now is not coming for their job? I cannot trust this offense. And I think riding the Texans, whoever the Texans are playing, just ride their opponent all year because you might lose two or three of those bets. So what? Ride the money line. You'll come out profitable. We'll keep moving it on here. We have the Arizona Cardinals at the Tennessee Titans. I would rather have this game a little bit later in the season, maybe like a week eight, week nine, once these teams have their their footing underneath them a little bit but this is a very fun week one matchup the Cardinals adding J.J. Watt AJ Green so you know they have some of those veteran pieces on there as well as dropping Rondell Moore so you have at least four solid receivers between D-hop the two I just listed and then you got Christian Kirk in that third spot as well defensively I'm still not very sold on the Arizona Cardinals even with the addition of Zayvon Collins here in the draft linebacker out of Tulsa Then we flip it over to Tennessee. We all know the biggest acquisition of the year, arguably, was Julio Jones to that wide receiving core. Well, really to that offense, got Derrick Henry, the best runner of the football right now. Now you're going to pair him up with A.J. Brown, arguably a younger you. Here we go. This offense on paper looks amazing, just like the offense on paper for Kyler Murray and those Cardinals look great. I just cannot trust Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals defense quite yet. But I could say the same thing about the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, this offense on paper looks awesome. I, I can trust it a little bit more than the Arizona Cardinals offense. But then we go back to the defensive side of the ball for the Tennessee Titans, too. If you've listened to us, I do not trust whatsoever. I'm waiting for this line, which is by towards Tennessee by minus three. I'm waiting that line to jump to three and a half, and I'm taking the Arizona Cardinals on that three and a half. That hook is going to save us. maybe it's going to grow a little bit more. Maybe he hit it to the plus four, something in that range.
1: There's a lot of reports right now out of Arizona that A.J. Green looks like a different wide receiver. Looks kind of like climb A.J. Green a little bit. That wouldn't surprise me all that much when you consider how few hits he has on his body over the last few years. He realistically hasn't played a lot, but I guess you can't really blame him either. If you've been banged up, those Bengal teams have been dead in the water from October on for the last several years. Hard to have that motivation to fight back for a team that's probably four and eight, four and nine, that's going nowhere. But if he's there, that could be a top two tandem that could rival anyone's in the entire league. AJ Green at his high point and with DeAndre Hopkins in the middle of his prime. Talk about a great situation for Kyler Murray to take that next step. I love Rondale Moore. I do think he will emerge himself as a speedy threat, whether that be occasionally as an H-back alternative or a split-out slot receiver. I'll really enjoy watching him play. I know that you were a little worried about the defense with the Cardinals and even with the acquisition of Zayvon Collins through the draft, but I think if Isaiah Simmons can really build on what he had going towards the end of last year, that could be the most physically gifted linebacking room in the entire league. And if that is the case, you bring in the guy like JJ Watt. It could make for a very interesting team that could, I think, go above even my expectations going into the year. But that's a lot of question marks, a lot of things that have to go right. Now, the Titans, you bring back Nate Jones and Ben Davis, who are activated from the COVID list just today, right before we did this. Taylor Luan's back. They're gonna be able to run the ball almost on anyone this year. And having the Julio Jones brought in. I think this offense has the, a special capability. It just goes, how far will Ryan Tannehill take this offense? I think he does enough on Sunday to at least get a win. I have the Titans winning this game by the number 27 to 24. So I would take money line, but I wouldn't touch the spread necessarily.
0: We'll move on to the next game. We got, we got a little bit of the bird Bath bowl. Philadelphia Eagles going to the Atlanta Falcons. As we know, Jalen Hurts. He's the man that is starting the season at quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. And hopefully they're looking to get acclimated. He is hoping to get acclimated quickly with Devontae Smith, ex-teammate from Alabama, that they had just drafted in this in this previous draft. They desperately needed to address their wide receiver room because, quite frankly, they're not there's not a lot that they're able to trust. Now, Jalen Rieger is looking good. He's made a lot of strides here in the offseason. I just don't know if I trust that wide receiving. Core as a whole, but I'm you know Jalen Hurts. I'm expecting a very very decent to good season. I'm not calling it great, but he's going to have a season to prove that he can make it as an NFL quarterback. And I think that. But with the Atlanta Falcons, that offensive firepower that they can always produce, defensively they cannot. I'm interested to see how Kyle Pitts is going to look in the NFL in that new offense with Matt Ryan throwing to him, Calvin Ridley now taking the number one spot. Is Russell Gage going to make that leap into being a true number two where he's extremely trustworthy? He was a nice number two slash three last year whenever Julio was out. And he seemed to get a lot of the, a lot of balls thrown to him. Maybe another year underneath his belt with the offseason, an actual offseason, he build a little bit better rapport with Matt Ryan, who's potentially out by the end of this year. Atlanta at home, opening the season against the Philadelphia Eagles. At this point, it's about what team has less question marks. I'm going with the Atlanta Falcons at home to open that season. Minus three, not a problem at all. I'm taking the Falcons minus three to cover this.
1: Follow me if you've heard this before. Philadelphia's biggest question mark in this year is the wide receiver position. If Jalen Hurts can survive this year with that wide receiver position as it sits, it would be very impressive. And I hope that Philadelphia fans, and I know this isn't a strength for a lot of them, I hope they're patient. Because they're going to need to be patient, especially early on. There's going to be growing pains from guys like Devontae Smith at this level. He is smaller. We are going to figure out how quickly he is able to adjust to the NFL game. He had no problem in the SEC. And if they can scheme him right, there's no reason to believe he can't be that successful at this level as well. I just have a hard time thinking that Jalen Rager and Greg Ward improved drastically. But one of them do have to step up. The two of them combined for only 800-ish yards last year and seven touchdowns. And then you have J.J. Arcata-Whiteside, who, I mean, yeah, he missed most of the year. But I think he had like five, six catches in like the four or five games he did play. So this is going to be an area of concern all year long. And if they can't get guys open for Jalen Hurts, no quarterback could succeed in that situation. So I'm, I'm trying to be a little patient with him because there's going to be some ugly moments on that offense. But for the Falcons, you mentioned Kyle Pitts. I know I'm in love with them. I know I've been awkward about him for the last 12 months. This is going to be a huge test for Arthur Smith in that Falcons offense. Are they able to scheme him open? Are they able to scheme him into those matchups? Because you got a guy. You don't draft tight ends in the top five unless you are making that a focal point of your offense. And if they're able to at least put him in those positions to be on a linebacker or even split him out wide and play him on a less proven quarterback or a safety, what have you, then they can at least provide points this year. Calvin Ridley is Calvin Ridley. We know that. Matt Ryan is Matt Ryan. We know that. But we need to have a replacement, at least, for the production that Julio is leaving. Is Pitts going to do that? Probably not this year. But we need to at least see those steps in the right direction to believe that this is an offense, this is a scheme that we can go forward with. I do think Kyle Pitts makes an immediate impact. He's going to have a big rookie year. I do think they get it done. I don't like taking them to cover in this game. I was really, I couldn't bet this game if you made me to. I could see either one of these teams actually coming out on top. I do have the Falcons winning a nail-biter 26-24. But I think this is one of the games on Sunday that we really don't have a large idea of what to expect. These are two teams that have a million question marks, a lot more than answers right now. And I think this will at least be the first step to answer some of those. But I do have the Falcons winning by two on Sunday.
0: Two teams that already have their answers for the face and the franchise. Los Angeles Chargers traveling to the Washington football team. You know, respectively talking about Justin Herbert. Yeah, boy, Chase Young. Chargers are a team I'm very high on. Very high on Justin Herbert this year. Like you guys have heard me say, I have him as my dark horse MVP candidate. And he's the only one I have money on to win the MVP this year you know, at my own personal bookie. The Chargers can finally break through this year. They added additions to their O-line like All-Pro Center, Corey Lindsley, drafting Rashawn Slater in this previous draft. They answered a lot of most of their question marks outside of, is Derwin James finally going to be healthy? Is Chris Harris going to mesh well with that secondary, with a fully healthy Derwin James? And we'll see how Mr. Bosa is going to play there in the Powder Blues. The Washington football team, of course, we have Chase Young, an animal, the Predator, coming off on a very stacked defensive front and line that he plays for. Talk about an absolute test for the Los Angeles Chargers to see how well they actually address their offseason needs in the offensive line. Well, let's go out there and test it out. The Chargers traveling to the West Coast, that always raises eyebrows for me. I don't like the West Coast teams traveling or the East Coast teams traveling to the West. I feel like there's always some sort of favorite t- towards that home team. Right now, Chargers are only favored by a point. This could be a pick em. It was a pick em at one point. I wouldn't be surprised if, if it fell back to that. Right now, I'm actually going to go with the Washington football team, taking away the dub at home, and Chase Young making an immediate impact and picking up right where he left off last year to lead that powerful Washington football team defense that don't be surprised if they're top three by the end of the year.
1: To your point about West Coast teams or East Coast teams traveling across the country, I completely agree. I hate it typically. But if you're going to do it, I would at least rather do it in week one. While you're still fresh, while you guys are still high on life, excited, you got all those nerves, they're still football players. They still get the butterflies for these games. And I am excited to see what they do. I wanted to pick Washington really bad. You guys understand that I've been really high on them for the last two years large part due to that defense, due to what Juan Rivera, Jack Del Rio have done. And that front seven is just disgusting. It is a great test to open up against a very good offensive line with those veterans, former Packers, too, in Balaga and Lindsay. like you said. This is a game for both teams where I feel like both are a little thin at wide receivers. So if they do get any injuries throughout the year, that could be a real issue moving forward. But as they sit right now, I really like, especially on the Washington side, bringing in Curtis Samuel, help out with Scary Terry and Adam Humphreys. That should help. You really are going to want to run the ball, too, in this game if you are Washington. You're able to establish the run and at least try in this game to stay in the driver's seat. You're going to help Ryan Fitzpatrick a lot. But this is not a team that's built to come from behind. No team wants to play from behind. But Washington, I feel like, is in a real tough spot with it. At some point, Fitzpatrick's going to hit that wall. He's going to hit that age. He's not Tom Brady. I don't know if this is the year. Maybe I'm a year or two early. But I want to see Washington, I guess, do it for about a month before I really saddle the horse to this team. I do have the Chargers winning this game. I think this is the year they finally break through. Maybe avoid a little bit of the injury bugs that have seemed to plague them for 15, 20 years. Chargers win this game 21-17. to 17. Baby Blue is back.
0: We'll keep on the turn of the West Coast, traveling at least to the Midwest, not all the way to the East Coast. The San Francisco 49ers open up their season at 7.5 point favorites against the dreaded Detroit Lions. Watch out for your kneecaps, Niners, because if you're pushing down these Lions players, which I'm assuming you will do a lot of, just watch out for those kneecaps. Get double padded. Just, Just thank me later. Jimmy G seems to be the clear starter with obviously Trey Lance being involved in some offensive packages. So there's a lot of uncertainty heading into what this offense is going to look like. One thing to not be uncertain about that at the end of the day, it's led by Kyle Shanahan. So they're, they're going to be causing some problems in the NFL this year. It's just a, it's just a new little twist. The Niners gaining back a lot of their defensive starters last year that went out to injury. Solomon Thomas. Nick Bosa being the two main people out of there. Obviously, losing key contributors like Richard Sherman, a couple other people in that defense as well. But once again, once you have Kyle Shanahan leading that team as your head coach, it doesn't really matter who you have out there because he'll he'll keep your team competitive. Seven and a half, I feel like this is one of the games that I will be betting a lot of real money on. I don't trust the Lions. Outside of what I think that their offensive line, actually, don't be surprised if they're not a top 10 offensive line. Outside of that, they won't be top 20 in anything. I just don't trust Dan Campbell to have his players ready quite yet against that San Francisco team that's going to be more ready, more hungry than this Lions team coming for kneecaps. Seven and a half, I feel like that's an easy cover. If it drops down to seven, hell yeah. Give me the option of taking home money or just getting it back because they didn't hit
1: With Jimmy G seemingly starting this season as the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, I think you're going to see a different style offense that it might morph into as the year goes on. If you're operating like myself under the assumption that Trey Lance eventually gets in, I think it's going to change It kind of grow where they're able to throw a little bit more. At the starting point of this year, I think you're going to see Kyle Shanahan scheme up A lot of that zone running game that you've seen and grown accustomed to out there in the Bay Area for a couple of years now, get Jimmy G moving on the play action a little bit, make some easy throws, it's not going to be breaking the wheel by any means. Now, I don't know what it is, but the Lions, I feel like, to start the year, even in their bad years, for whatever reason, they cover spreads. Last year, I can't remember, I think it was the Vikings, you had the DeAndre Swift drop touchdown pass that would have beat... A heavily favored, or at least I think it was like a favored, similar to this. I want to say seven and a half or so, but he dropped the ball. Hopefully, he doesn't drop the ball this week for him. But you're going to have, like you said, a decent offensive line there. They're going to have to hope to God that that's going to help this running game get going because I don't know who Jared Goff's going to throw the ball to. T.J. Hawkinson's a solid tight end, but he's not that receiving threat that you see across the league. at least at that elite level. Beyond him, man, Tyrell Williams, he's hardly been able to stay on the field for the last few years. Raiders legend and all. He's missing six to ten games, it feels like, I want to say, over the last three years, if my memory serves me right. And he's a vertical threat when he's on the field. He's not even a guy that's going to do a lot of that dirty work inside. And beyond him. I mean, these are the kind of names you're going to be looking and expecting Goff to find. Khalif Raymond, Tom Kennedy, Quintez Cephas. It's not going to happen. This is going to be a team that really struggles to score points this year. And I think only is going to rival Houston and possibly Jacksonville for a top spot. I do think Detroit covers, so I wouldn't bet that. But if you want easy money, the money line here, it's free. I want to say it's minus 360 as it sits. 49ers win this game 27-20. A little bit ugly. No one's happy, I guess, if you're a San Francisco 49ers fan after this. You're going to hear the noise, stuff. When are we going to move to Trey Lance? I'd hold your horses. It's not going to be like Chicago where I think their hand might get forced earlier in the year. I think you see Trey Lance, but it might be October. It might be November before we get there. 49ers win 27-20. Let's keep it going now. The Seattle Seahawks are three-point favorites traveling to Indianapolis. Now, news came out earlier this week. Carson Wentz is on track to start this game. Happiest people on earth right now. The Philadelphia Eagles fans, if you don't remember, in that trade, that conditional second-round pick can become a first-round pick if he plays 75% of offensive snaps. Philly wants this guy to finally stay healthy, figure it out there in Indianapolis. Big test for both of these teams early on. One of the better matchups, honestly, looking at this late on Sunday, Seattle has kind of waned back and forth from one extreme to the next. Last year, Breaking their mold, they became very pass-happy throughout the year. Worked early on when teams weren't expecting it as often. But in the second half, you saw a fall off in the offense. Russell Wilson didn't look nearly as sharp as he had earlier in the year. Do they go back to the run-heavy scheme? That's something I'm going to keep an eye on. Another thing, I want to know, does Jamal Adams, is he asked to do more in the pass defense this year? Or is he going to be that glorified... Effectively, that bullet position where he's going to have the ability to get in the running game and blitz the passer more often than not, a lot more than you see typical safeties. I think that's something that they're going to expect more of. They want him to be more heavily involved in the passing game. That'll be interesting there. I have the Colts actually coming out on top this game, winning outright. I have them 28-20. to I just think that you're going to see Seattle start a little slow, trying to figure out what that offensive identity is. Colts are going to have to have somebody step up at that wide receiver position. I'll let Steven talk about that here a little bit more. But I have Carson Wentz and the Colts winning this game 28-20 to outright.
0: I couldn't agree more. That wide receiver position will be the, the biggest thing we're focusing on in this game or throughout the Indianapolis Colts season. Obviously, with T.Y. Hill now starting the season on IR from neck surgery, like you're saying, Zach Pascal is who they're going to be leaning on, who's been getting a lot of hype out of the Colts' training camp here this this past offseason. Paris Campbell still your boy from OSU. There's still a lot of talent that he has. Michael Pittman Jr. is the one that sticks out to me that can come out as that clear-cut number one receiver for Carson Wentz. But we're not even talking about the running game that they have. You have Jonathan Taylor coming off a great rookie season. You have Naheem Hines that is an absolute stud as your, as your backup. And in the passing game, that Jonathan Taylor is, honestly, let's be real, that's his, that's his negative suit. That's something that he struggles with. And then worst case scenario, you can fall back on, on a Marlon Mack, who can be your third-string guy who was a stud, and he was the answer before he got hurt, and they ended up drafting Jonathan Taylor. Then he got hurt, and now the rest is history. Love the O-line, love the defense. I'm such an old-school guy when it comes to that. The O-line, if if your lines are good between the O and the D-line and the defense in general, I'm very high on you. This Colts team was a top-10 defense here last year. I did not see them taking any steps back. The Seattle team always, they're either going to come out so hot or so cold, but when they're hot, it's against weaker opponents. When they're cold, it's against opponents like this. I'm with you on this, Wally. I'm taking... in. I'm taking the Indianapolis Colts plus three. Hopefully that rises up a little bit as a home dog against the visiting Seattle Seahawks because they will have a lot of questions to answer. This wide receiving core will prove that in, their, in Seattle secondary. One struggling secondary to the next, the Minnesota Vikings are visiting the Cincinnati Bengals where they are three-point favorites as a road opponent. The offensive is full of studs. You have Dalvin Cook in your backfield. You have Adam Phelan and Justin Jefferson coming off as the best wide receiver in the rookie class as of first year. Again, I feel like we're saying this a lot, but the defense is where we're going to be focused on and how developmental this Minnesota Vikings team can be. Yeah, they added Patrick Peterson, Brashad Breeland, and Xavier Woods. Harrison Smith is your leading safety. The man just got paid 64 mil over the last four years. Yet yeah, he is 32 and aging. We'll see if he actually makes it during that or this is just his last time to get the bag, get injured, and get the fuck out of there. Joe Burrow getting ready to start his first game since tearing his ACL here last year. To be frank with you, there's not a lot I can look at here. I'm going to go with the offensive prowess right now and I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings because the Cincinnati Bengals offense there's a lot to look at. Yes, they're young and up and coming with T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, who they just drafted. Can Tyler Boyd finally make that leap and just be a dominant player in that offense? Could Joe Mixon stay healthy? That offensive line is atrocious. Wouldn't be surprised if they're bottom five in the league and Joe Burrow goes out with another injury this year. I will not trust him early on. I have to trust them throughout the duration of the season to gamble on the Cincinnati Bengals. For now, I'm going to go with my NFC North foe the Minnesota Vikings, to cover the three-point spread in Cincinnati.
1: Most of what I'm going to say is going to be echoing you. You did a good job there on this preview where the secondary here for the Vikings and the pass rush, pass rush needs to be addressed too, where that was the worst pass rush in the NFL last year. And at least if you're a Bengals fan, it's kind of a nice way to dip your toe in the water, rooting for Joe Burrow to stay healthy, hoping that offensive line can hold up. Because this pass rush really hasn't gotten much better Defense, secondary, like you said, it's kind of old. It's kind of, a lot of it names you would recognize, but not necessarily anymore for a good thing. These are guys that are well beyond their prime. Even Harrison Smith, who you just mentioned, signing the new deal. You mentioned he's 32. Who knows if he actually plays out this contract. They paid Patrick Peterson, I want to say $10 million a year off the top of my head. That's a lot of money for, I guess, an agent secondary I think both teams, in theory, should be able to throw the ball on one another in this game. I am really high on Joe Burrow still, and I do expect to see him look good on Sunday. I call this one a little bit of an upset. I have the Bengals winning by three, 24-21, but I don't think either one of these teams are going to be making too much noise come around November and December. I think that there are just too many holes on both sides of the ball for both of them. Bengals' offensive line outside of Jonah Williams and Riley Reef. I mean, good luck even telling me those guys' names, Those that interior line. You've got you guys like Michael Jordan. You traded guys like Billy Price. Looking at a lot of new faces there with not a lot of time to gel in that offense. I hope for their sake they can protect Joe Burrow. When he looked good last year, we saw that promise, that potential of what he could be. It's just a matter of now, does he have the longevity? I hope so. Bengals win this game 24-21, to but kind of an ugly game. Not a game I feel like if you're not a fan of one of these two teams, you're going to be seeing on red zone a lot. A lot of broken plays, a lot of just kind of meh out there. I love Mike Zimmer, but I think that this might be his last hurrah or getting close to it. His whole thing's defense, and if the defense has fallen off this hard and hasn't seemingly gotten any better, at what point do you have to move on to a younger guy? So... Bengals do come out on top by three.
0: We'll continue on this defensive pipe train where we have the Miami Dolphins starting their season in New England against the Mac Jones rookie quarterback-led Patriots against his former teammate, Tua Tungavailoa. So New England actually opens up as a three-point favorite. Love to see this. There's a lot of speculation of the Deshaun Watson rumors of him getting traded, The Miami Dolphins listing their five-team captains, Tua not being one of them. Wondering if two is actually the answer, only about nine games in. And then we got Mac Jones on the other side. Never thought we'd see the day where Bill Belichick would be starting a rookie quarterback. But man, these are going to be two n- top-notch defenses going at it. New England returning a, f- a couple of their starters from last year. Dante Hightower being one of them. Unfortunately, Stefan Gilmore is starting the season on the PUP list, which means that he will A, physically unable to perform list, B, you're You're only eligible to return when it's post week six. Yes, you have JC Jackson there. And I can't wait to see how this defense is going to look with the veterans like Kyle Van Noy making his way back from the aforementioned Miami Dolphins. That is a hell of a team to play against it as a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones. Thankfully, it is in your building in Gillette Stadium. Again, the fans are back and that is how he gets to start his career. And I think that he's going to start his career with a fat L. I'm going to go with the Miami Dolphins plus three divisional matchup. You got the Patriots aspect of it. Of Brian Flores going back to Gillette once again, playing against a rookie quarterback. I'm taking Miami and the points here at plus three. Hopefully that's going to grow a little bit bit bigger so I have the hook to ride on in case it is a field goal game. I feel like that's easy money.
1: I was with you. I even have it on our rundown. You can see it right now. I have Dolphins 20-17. to I have completely flipped. No idea. Spur of the moment right now, just talking about Brian Flores, talking about that team, when you consider the fact that Bill Belichick doesn't lose to assistant coaches very often, I think that I'm going to go with more of the same. I think it's going to just be an inverse score. I think I'm going to take New England 20-17 to here. Mac Jones in his first start at home. You have the greatest receiver in the history of football, Nelson Aguilar, he's going to be throwing to. So you can probably expect 200 yards there, a couple of bones, a couple of touchdowns, no problem. But joking aside, I think that this defense is going to be so much better with those guys coming back. When you lose guys like Dante Hightower to the COVID year, I think that his impact was lost a little on fans and it's going to be very quickly remembered. I think that the Patriots are going to stifle to, I think they're they're going to really struggle to move the ball. And outside of Jalen Waddle, who we're really hoping, if you're a Dolphins fan, can get it going early, I mean, you have Devontae Parker, Mac Hollins, Jakeem Grant, Preston Williams, Albert Wilson. There's not a ton here that you're like, oh my gosh, why isn't Tua succeeding? If these are the guys you're throwing to each week, we have to hope Jalen Waddle isn't a guy that turns out to be a bust or have a year like Henry Ruggs in his first year we need to see an immediate impact. Yeah, Will Fuller being back's going to be massive, but it's not this week. And because of that, I think you're going to see Miami much more like we saw them in the second half of last season, struggling to score points. New England's going to do enough offensively to get the win, give Mac Jones time. He's going to at least be serviceable. I don't know if I'm as high on a lot of the people saying, "Oh my gosh, we got Brady 2.0 up there." Obviously, that's ridiculously high what expectations, that's not gonna be where he's at. I'm just saying I think he's going to be a solid quarterback and I can at least keep them in the mix come December. But I went against my initial pick. I'm saying Patriots win this game twenty to seventeen so nobody covers. It's a push.
0: You're fucking boring man. You want no one to have fun. Now this is that's the negative thing about you. Well outside of you having your doctorate in English, I think that's the worst thing about you. The Cleveland Browns are visiting the Kansas City Chiefs in a divisional round rematch of last year. As you remember, Pat Mahomes went out with an injury. Cleveland was not able to take advantage of that. And Chad Henning comes back to haunt all Ohioans' dreams by picking up a fourth down with his legs. I don't need to keep having you guys replay this. Kansas City is opening up as a a six-and-a-half-point favorite This may be the best game in Week 1. Cleveland added so much to their defense. Troy Hill, John Johnson, the Adage Davion Clowney. You got big old 2-8 linebacker that you got in your defense that's making some strides. That man can run sideline to sideline. Then you have the Chiefs that answered Patrick Mahomes' beck and call based off the Super Bowl tape of running 497 yards collectively from the front seven of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They did nothing but revamp their whole offensive line to make that team even more dangerous. I can't picture a better matchup of the front seven of the Cleveland Browns going up against the revamped front five of the Kansas City Chiefs. It being in Kansas City, the line has moved a little bit. Kansas City minus six and a half. I'm going to take that. And that's not disrespect to the Browns. If this was seven or seven and a half, I'm taking the Browns. I'm strictly taking the Kansas City Chiefs because of that six and a half. I think that this is a touchdown game. Has a touchdown game written all over it. But man, that Cleveland Browns offense is going to be fun to watch. See how they pick apart, potentially pick apart that Kansas City Chiefs team. Odell Beckham back off injury. Juice Landry. We got Nick Chubb, Cream Hunt in the backfield. I'm going to say the best offensive line in the NFL to protect all those players to get the ball. Right now, I have Cleveland losing to Kansas City by a touchdown. This may be a different conversation once January floats around.
1: Glad you said that to end it, because it might be a different conversation come January. I think purely on this being week one, I'm taking the Chiefs, and I'm taking the Chiefs comfortably. Part of that has to do with the Browns right now have bone-crushing expectations, not only in Cleveland itself, but in the national media. And that's sometimes really hard early in the year to handle those expectations and not let the pressure get to you. Not to mention, we talk about Buffalo all the time. We talk about Cleveland all the time, how great their fans are. I think a lot of people, for whatever reason, sleep on how great Chiefs' kingdom is what they want to call themselves, how great that fan base is. Arrowhead is going to be rocking. It's going to feel like a playoff game. I think even with them starting two rookie offensive linemen, you are going to see at least a little bit of an improvement there when you factor in Orlando Brown and Joe Thune being on that offensive line on the left side. I think the Chiefs are going to score early and often, but this is more of a Browns. It's going to take time. You don't just basically revamp the secondary and expect them to just click overnight. It's going to take a little while. I just ask Browns fans not to panic. If they do lose this game and lose this game comfortably to the Chiefs, this is just a, a little hiccup in the road. You'll be there at the end of the year. And like you said, when they play at Arrowhead again come January, I think there's a very realistic chance. that I might even be taking the Browns out right. It's just not there yet. I'm not ready to do it. I think that the Browns offense starts a little slow. They'll be better come week two. But just with the expectation, you've got to rock his crowd again. It's going to be a little slow. I know this is a ridiculously low total for the Browns, but I I don't know. It, it's just for right now, weird things happen week one. I do think the Chiefs come out on top, thirty four to twenty, cover to six and a half pretty easily. It's one of the games I'm actually going to be betting on heavily, just as high as those expectations are for the Browns. It's weird. It's almost like the expectations for the Chiefs have been high for so long that now they kind of have a little bit of gimme room. I guess with the public, the expectation's great. And if it starts being poor for a long time, then we'll start questioning them. But they get to play a little stress-free right now because God forbid the Chiefs even come out one and two to start the year. Offense looks terrible. We're all going to have that in the back of our head where we have the faith in Patrick Mahomes. We're going to have the faith in Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Clyde Edwards, E. Lair. I just don't think it happens. They're so good. There's a reason why the expectations are where they're at. The Chiefs win big. I'm comfortable with that.
0: Something that we also forgot to mention: Andy Reid is the best coach in September. Any Andy Reid team—Chiefs, Eagles—they come out hot in September, and this is their this is their revenge tour this year. Why would they not want to come out hot and flash out their all their new toys on the offensive line? Remind you why Travis Kelsey was in that conversation last year is potentially the best pass catcher period in the league last year. Not even receiver pass catching. And then Tyreek Hill has to remind people. because people have just been dogging him. The Denver Broncos open up as two and a half point favorites in New York at MetLife against the New York Football Giants. This is a fun matchup. This is a game that I'm going to have in one of our later segments here in a little bit later in the episode. Patrick Surtain making his NFL debut. Rookie cornerback that was taken here in the first round for the Denver Broncos. And as Wally put it so elegantly on our rundown here, we finally get to see how horrible this Giants offensive line is against a recovering and potential comeback player of the year in Vaughn Miller. You have Bradley Chubb there, Patrick Sertain in there at your rookie quarterback position. Can't forget about Justin Simmons, arguably the best safety in the NFL who just got paid in this offseason. Going up against a revamped wide receiving room in the New York Giants, you know that they added Kenny Galladay. You drafted a Kadarius Toney, the likes of Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, and you can't forget about Evan Ingram in there, who they also added in the the tight end room. Yeah, I know you're thinking about Calvin Benjamin. Unfortunately, it's not him. It was Kyle Rudolph from the Minnesota Vikings. So there is a lot of pass-catching options, and you can't even forget about Saquon is coming back healthy. None of that fucking matters if your offensive line cannot play. The Denver Broncos have the clear favorite in the line, in the defensive-offensive line matchup here. That might be a little bit of foreshadowing into what I'm going to be leading into at the end of the episode. The Broncos at minus two and a half in here. I have no problem taking this. That's money. That's a game I will actually have a lot of money on.
1: I'm going to start with the Denver Broncos here. They remind me a lot of what Washington was last year where they had a very good fringe elite defense that because of the offense, people don't fully appreciate how good they are. And they had Dwayne Haskins, RIP, love my guy, wherever, it doesn't matter. He held back that team. I think you're going to be in a similar spot where they are going to be asking Teddy Bridgewater not to hold this team back. Bring back Sutton. The wide receiver room looks good. I love me some KJ Hamler too. I think he could have a breakout year if they handled him correctly. Defense is loaded. They bring in Patrick Surtain instead of drafting Justin Fields at nine. That's a big question mark to me, and I think one they're going to regret, not only because of what I think Justin Fields is going to be, but because I feel like this team is a quarterback away from being a wild card team. Right now, because of that division they play in, it's not like what Washington went through last year, where Washington got the benefit of the doubt of playing in the weakest division in football. The AFC West might be the deepest beyond the Broncos. They might see five or six losses there. I think that Teddy Bridgewater holds them back, and they're going to have to figure that out. The Giants, on the other hand, you want to talk about another team, Dave Gettleman, a glaring failure in letting this offensive line get to game day in the state it is. Saquon Barkley is finally back from that injury. It looks like he's set to start on Sunday, but then it's similar to what Joe Burrow is dealing with in Cincinnati. We just operated under the assumption the last 12 months that the line would be fixed or at least close to being fixed when the regular season rolled back around in 2021. It hasn't happened. It will hold this team back. And I think it's going to be the reason why Denver wins this game. That defense against that offensive line, I think it's going to make Daniel Jones look bad all day. The Broncos, it should be worse than this. I put 24 to 20 as I'm sitting here. It kind of feels more of a 24-14 to 14 kind of game. But regardless, the Broncos win on the road, cover the two-and-a-half-point spread. Broncos, man, if I'm a fan of them, they're going to end up with like seven, eight wins and really, really upset with themselves for letting the quarterback situation get to where it is.
0: Wally, you, have, you had that loaded up in the chamber. I mean, I think, I think you've had great breakdowns for all games, but you're just coming at the quarterback's neck. It was a Justin Fields. That's what really drove you on that, wasn't it?
1: I, well, plus the fact that everybody's telling me that the Broncos are going to be better than the Raiders this year. When I don't know where they just magically got that much better. So, yeah, not to mention it's, it's a division rival. You know what it's like where everybody thinks the Bears are going to be really good and it pisses you off. That's kind of where I'm at with the Broncos.
0: It's funny, I think the Broncos and the Raiders like would whatever the Broncos are good at is what the Raiders are gonna suck at, and then vice versa. So that's where it's gonna be really funny because at the end of the day, they're both gonna be the same exact team in different portions of the game. But you said it best, it leads to the quarterback play. You have to be stupid, and there's only about a handful of guys if that it would take for me to choose over Derek Carr to lead a team. So understandable, but yeah, whatever. We'll get to your we'll get to your Monday night game here. We'll kick it to your boys' game. We've got the Green Bay Packers opening up as four-point favorites against the New Orleans Saints. Game is actually going to be played in Jacksonville. Once again, thoughts and prayers to anyone who is affected in the Mississippi and Louisiana area. This game is going to be played in Jacksonville, like I said. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams' last dance gets underway. Reports came out today that there's there's not a lot of urgency to get the Devontae Adams contract extension done. A lot of question marks because that also came out of a report that Green Bay was putting Jair Alexander's contract over Devontae, which I agree with. We'll talk about that in another episode. Opening up against New Orleans, Jameis Winston is named the starting quarterback here last week. I'm excited to see how he's going to play with him finally getting thrown back into a starting role in the same division that he watched his ex-team win a Super Bowl simply by changing who the quarterback was maybe a little bit of Jameis Winston revenge tour going on this year I don't think it's going to start against Green Bay Green Bay has Devontae Adams coming back with the additions of Randall Cobb slotted back in into that offense Aaron Jones being re-signed a lot of question marks with their offensive line who we've been talking about David Bakhtiari is starting this season on the PUP list from the torn ACL that he sustained here last December so we have Elton Jenkins going Outside of that, Josh Myers, rookie, your boy, out of Ohio State, making his first NFL start at the center position. Outside of that, they don't have any notable names on that line. Defense, I think they'll be good. New Orleans, like we were saying, they're scrapping for secondary help right now. They're adding a lot of people that have not had a lot of time in that system. I'm giving the nod to the Green Bay Packers wide receivers. Outside of it being Devontae, that is your number one. You know he's going to eat. Jameis Winston, hell of a first start back in the NFL. You have the second best cornerback in the league that you have to go against with an offense that does not have Michael Thomas. Alvin Kamara will still thrive, but it's going to come down to the secondary New Orleans, which you know I have to give the nod to, again, to the Green Bay offense and their wide receivers. I have Green Bay covering this game, not a problem, at least by a touchdown. Coming away with the victory and starting off the last dance for Aaron Rodgers with the dub in 2021.
1: I think this is going to be the highest-scoring game of the week. And with that game not being in New Orleans, we're going to get almost what we got to see last year in the 2020 games. Yeah, I'm sure there will be fans that are able to buy tickets for that game, but it's not going to be anything like a home-field advantage that we're going to see the rest of the week in the NFL. The Saints secondary we mentioned at the top of the show is going to be something that they are going to have to learn on the fly. You brought in Desmond Trufant. Bradley Roby's not going to be able to play yet because he has to serve that last game of suspension. I do think Rodgers and Devontae Adams have a big game. I think they're going to be able to score early and often against his Saints team. The Saints are going to be able to put up points in their own right purely on what that offense is built on. Jameis is a sink or swim kind of guy. I think you are going to see the points there. Hopefully, for his sake, you can see that growth in not turning the ball over. I think that's going to be a focal point this entire year. Sean Payton in that offense I do have the Packers win this game 38 to 27 I think this is going to be the start of a very productive offensive year for the Packers and it's going to put a lot of pressure on that front office to make something magical happen but if it is the last dance they get off under a good start here at the very least
0: well unfortunately keep this in the division the Chicago Bears are traveling out west to the Los Angeles Rams well, the Rams are seven and a half point favorites to open up the first Sunday night game of the NFL season. We get the first look of how shitty the offensive line of the Chicago Bears are. Is Andy Dalton really the answer? And do we actually really feel confident that he should have been the starter right from the get-go? And of course, we get to see the first look at SoFi Stadium, an absolute Gorgeous, gorgeous venue, the next great venue in the NFL, one of many to come. I feel like they're contracts for a positional player. Every time you get an NFL stadium, the next one has to be bigger, better, and more expensive. Matt Stafford, we finally get to see behind that LA Rams offensive line and commanding that offense, the most competent player to play that position in St. Louis or Los Angeles in quite some time. There's a lot of hype around it. Love seeing him out of my division. But, of course, his first game out of the division is against a similar defensive foe. We'll see how Khalil Mack in that defense is going to look. I know there's a lot of stories coming out that Khalil's getting back to his natural way of just being able to rush the quarterback. Instead of playing a little bit of that inside linebacker aspect to his game, he's going to get back to his true passion in making left, left and right tackles and quarterbacks' life's miserable. Think their defense is going to be way better than they were last year. They were still a top 15 defense last year. That's just not chicago style of being outside of, quite frankly, the top seven or eight. They make that stride back into that top-tier defense. I just don't have enough confidence again in the offensive line and what that offense in general can do. Outside of Allen Robinson, and I would give it to David Montgomery. He just has no one blocking for him. Right now, I can't trust this offense. I'm going with the LA Rams covering easily, that 7.5 points. And if that under is flirting with 45, I'd I'd be taking that under as well.
1: This offense for the Bears is going to be an abomination to start the year. And that's the worst possible place you could be in if you're in this organization or if you are Justin Fields because this fan base is going to be clamoring to get Justin Fields in the game. Andy Dalton doesn't have a shot with this kind of offense. I hope for the Bears' sake that they kind of or at least patient and let Justin Fields come in when they feel at least that it makes sense. If they want to make the playoffs, that's going to be early in the season. Because, man, you're right. The Rams minus 7.5 kind of feels like robbery right now. It is in SoFi. It is new. That's great. But watching even the one preseason game where the Raiders played the Rams, and I know the Raiders have a fan base in L.A. from the history there, but the Raiders overtook that stadium. We've seen this time and time again at that, what, small little soccer stadium. I can't remember what it's called now. The last few years, the Chargers and the Rams have had their fan base overrun, whether that be at that soccer stadium for the Chargers or the Coliseum for the Rams. L.A. hasn't really come back and fully adopted these teams. Bears fans, they're fanatical too. You know that there's going to be a shit ton of them there. I'm worried for the Rams. I'm worried for the Chargers that this is going to turn into a destination venue for teams where fans travel to see their team because of how cool the stadium is. And if that's the case, you're going to lose a lot of that home field. Won't matter in this game at least. The Rams are going to hit the ground running with Matthew Stafford. They're going to score 28-ish points even against a good Bears defense purely because they're not going to be able to stay onside. They're not going to be able to keep the offense on the field in their own right. I hope that Andy Dalton can at least look presentable because otherwise you know when they get back to Soldier Field, you're going to get the boo birds. You're going to have the Justin Fields chance. It's going to get ugly until they make the switch. But I have the Rams covering 28-23. to 23.
0: Just let Justin Fields start. You're at most with Andy Dalton are shooting for third place in the NFC North. Just start Justin Fields. Just get ahead of the curve. I get it. You don't want to put your foot in your mouth because you you drafted Andy Dalton. Shit kind of fell to you, and you're like, you know what? We're out here. We're going to take that chance and draft this quarterback. So he kind of fell into your lap in a sense. But come on, just cut Andy Dalton loose and then let Justin Fields start. But all in due time, I'm okay with letting Justin Fields sit out the first two games so Green Bay can get a nice head start, win the division. Then the division's up for grabs for for the next decade, 20 years, once Aaron Rodgers is gone. We're gonna finally finish with your team, the Vegas Raiders, where they are hosting. This just seems perfect. The first game with fans allowed in the Black Star, a Monday night game against who? None other than the Baltimore Ravens. That purple and black going up, going up against each other. That's going to be a visually aesthetic pleasing game to say the least. I don't know if uh, I don't know if you agree with your doctrine of English Wally, but I think I did pretty well there. Baltimore is opening up as four and a half point favorites as the visiting team. As we mentioned with the running back problems that the Baltimore Ravens have been having, they're leaning to Gus Edwards here on what seems to be a very revamped front line defensive line for your Vegas Raiders here, Wally. That's a hell of a matchup. You know, we're talking about how that Browns D line is going up against that revamped Chiefs O-line, or how the first game. For the Chargers, what seems to be a revamped offensive line. They're going up against the Washington football team's D-line. This is fun. The number one rated rushing team last year. Going up against what seems to be a revamped defensive line for your Vegas Raiders. Note that they added Yannick Ngakwe. I'll let you kind of start deep diving and start having an orgasm on about your team here shortly. Four and a half seems like a lot for me. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm 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 sold on the Raiders, take them their money line, but that's a lot of points. I'm not saying they're not going to win either, but that's a lot of points for your first game, Monday night, a traveling team, with the injuries that you've had, with everything that's going on and, and all those question marks surrounding the offense for the Baltimore Ravens. I just find the Raiders as the more fun team right now. I'm taking the plus four and a half. Derek Carr's going to come out firing. Darren Waller's going to go against that tough Ravens D. I'm going to lean towards your boys, though.
1: If you've followed us the last year, you know that I am not a biased Raider fan. I joke a lot. I I talk about Raiders Super Bowl, but I imagine most of you were able to pick up that there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek in that. I actually have the Raiders winning this game, and I'll tell you why. First of all, this is the first game back, which makes this feel like the real opener for Allegiant Stadium. We saw how gorgeous it was last year, but having... 65, 70,000 screaming Halloween characters, you know how that black hole is. I think it's going to be a very tough environment to play. And when you factor in what we talked about earlier, the Ravens are going to be leaning on Gus Edwards, leaning on Tyson Williams. I don't know if that's going to be enough to get it done. There are a lot of rumors out there, a lot of beat writers saying the Raiders defense looks a lot better. That wouldn't be hard. The Raiders defense was so bad last year. We're talking historically inept over the course of the last five years. It's amazing we're talking about Derek Carr as often as we always seem to do. When the Raiders' defense is bottom five in the league year in and year out, when you want to throw on the Raiders, you throw on the Raiders. That's going to be that what the unmovable. Well, what's the expression, Stephen? Help me out. The immovable object versus. Whatever. You know what I'm trying to get at anyways.
0: Well, the unstoppable force goes up against an immovable object?
1: Exactly. That's what this is, where it comes with the Raiders passing defense versus the Ravens passing offense in reverse. They're so bad, which one's going to actually come out on top this day? I think the Raiders are going to do enough defensively to get it done. I think the Raiders, it's going to be more of the same on offense A lot of points. You're going to see Henry Ruggs get a little bit more involved this year. Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro look good again. Josh Jacobs, a little bit of a resurgence here behind a much more run emphasis offensive line. A lot of people are complaining, saying that you lose some big names like Rodney Hudson, Trent Brown. Trent Brown wasn't really on the field. Rodney Hudson, it's a loss. I won't sit here and pretend it isn't. That is probably the biggest loss on the offensive side of the ball, and I don't think it's particularly close. But with as much skill as you have on that offense, I think they're going to do enough in this game. I have it 33-28. The reason I have it 33-28 is I think the Raiders score late, have a chance to go for two to potentially make it a seven-point game. Doesn't happen. They win this game by five. I think it just feels like a special game because of the environment. Very good chance I'm proven wrong. and The Raiders lose 38-17. to But I truly feel like the Raiders defense is going to at least give you glimmers of hope. And that's all at this point I, can, I feel fair to ask for is give me a glimmer of hope.
0: I think a glimmer of hope is a little bit too much, but that's, just, that's me personally. I like to see you suffer during football season. No offense, and I love you, Walter. But that brings us to the end of all of our games. Week one picks. Typically, we do not go through all the games like that, but it's the first week. We want to go through it. We want to try to get you guys as much money. But before we head out, we have my personal favorite segment, Prop, Lock, and Drop It. And if you don't remember, we pick one prop that we love, one absolute lock of the week for NFL, and then one drop it, one game that we're absolutely staying away from. So, Wally, I wanted to open up to you because I feel like I've just been talking way too much. What is your prop lock and drop it this week, my man?
1: I really kind of enjoyed us starting this towards the end of last year, and I hopefully we can keep this going. It'll be a fun little segment weekly for you guys. But I'll start with my prop. I mentioned that I think that the Packers are going to be able to throw the ball and throw the ball pretty easily against that Saints secondary. And because of that, I have Devontae Adams as the first player to score in the New Orleans-Green Bay Packers game. That would pay out at plus 550. This is factoring in that I kind of want the Packers to score outside of the 15 because I think you might get into the Aaron Jones, Robert Tunyon, vulturing a touchdown here. But I think Adams is going to get or be the guy to score first. Then my lock, I feel like I'm picking on the Browns this episode, I really don't mean to. You know I really am high on your team, but I have Kansas City winning by minus 6.5. I was stuck between picking that in the Bears-Rams game, but that one just felt a little funky to me. But I am going with Kansas City minus 6.5. I do think they control that game throughout. Now the drop for me game, I completely want to just forget about, not touch. That Atlanta and Philadelphia game, I told you I wouldn't bet on it if you made me to, and that's where I'm at, really. I think that that is just a crapshoot. It's a 50-50 at best game if you're putting money on it. I have the Falcons winning a close one, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if we're talking about the Eagles winning by two or three scores either. That's just how much variability I think comes into that game. One of those offenses might get it going. The other one might look kind of like what we saw at certain points last year, leaving a lot to be desired. But that's my drop it. I want to hear it for you now. Your prop, your lock, and your drop.
0: Well, I'm going to start with my prop. And there's nothing, there's not an official number that I have for you right now or as we are recording. But the over for sacks in the Denver Giants game. We're talking about how horrible the New York Giants offensive line is. The Broncos defensive line is going to be one of the top in the league this year and this is the game that they can slaughter. Von Miller can get his confidence back. And with Bradley Chubb on the other side, they are not going to have an answer to stop at least one of those guys getting a sack. You know that they're going to look to not really put that much pressure on Saquon with his first game back after the ACL. They want to try out the new pieces that they have at the wide receiver position. I expect Danny Dimes to be dropping a lot in this game. I'm predicting that 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 line would be set anywhere from five to six, I'm taking it. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a game where that was met in the first half, and it was easy money. That is my prop. We'll move it on the locket. I have Atlanta minus three against the Philadelphia Eagles, or hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. That defense is going to be atrocious. Meanwhile, they both talked about how we are nowhere close to ever trusting that defense. And Atlanta should be able to light them up. Kyle Pitts, I'm predicting to have a very big first game in the NFL, strictly because of how horrible this defense is. That's how quickly he can make an impact with how porous I'm predicting the Philadelphia Eagles to be on that side of the ball. The line moved down from three and a half to three. I'm taking that as an absolute lock and taking it now before it moves back to that half point. And my drop. I know I picked the Washington football team to win this game. But that was strictly for the gambling purposes and so we can keep our records here throughout the year. But realistically, I'm staying away from that game. That's a entertainment-only game. I don't have, outside of Justin Herbert, I have no one else that plays on that team. So I'll be watching strictly for entertainment. And that is my drop, not touching it whatsoever. And that will bring us to an end of another episode of Loss of Down. Season 2, Week 1, in the books. We're going to be making a lot more money. Wally's got the spreadsheet out there. He's going to make sure he keeps tabs on what our units are looking like, what our records are looking like, and we'll make sure to keep you tabs on real-life stories of all the real money that we're gambling on this. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, at Loss of Down, and, of course, Twitter, at Down underscore Loss. Wally, do you have any parting words for our listeners?
1: This is as close to perfect as it gets. I've talked about it, whether that be here or on my other podcast. I've never been this excited for football. I don't think that I appreciated how much the fans, for college, the pageantry, all these traditions, stuff like that actually matters. Having seen that back, it just makes me even more excited to see NFL football, to see those lunatic fans jumping through tables in Buffalo, to see the Muni lot packed in Cleveland to see the people in their Halloween costumes down there in the black hole. I've never been so excited. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as we're going to great times to be alive right now, Steve.
0: Before we go, I do want to give the biggest shout out. A couple of them. Obviously, like Wally said, make sure to check out Pigskins and nylon. Got a little big 10 action, a little college football, but also a special shout out. Wally Lukashensky. Kid's been working his dick, balls and ass off the past week, getting the big episode out, getting pigskins and nylons out, getting this episode out. Love you, Wally. You're the absolute GOAT. Can't wait to win you some money this season that we can live out in Vegas this time. Next year, chilling with Chris Balsarian and all of his bad bitches.
1: Oh, that sounds really nice. That would be lovely.
0: As long as there's a Bojangles out there, you can find me. We will catch you here next week. Make sure, hey, if you guys are free, come on over. Sunday. We got the spread, we got pepperoni balls, pigs in a blanket, we got wings, we got jalapeno, bacon-wrapped, cream cheese-filled. Some random shit. Gonna be drinking a lot, cannot wait. Football is fucking back, boys and girls.
1: Hire me to your cologne commercial.